Our good friends at Johnio welcome you to this episode. Now, the iconic Johnio clothing brand logo of the surfer and his longboard first caught my eye several years ago, but it's the signature Johnio style where West Coast meets East Coast prep that truly changed the game for me, and I've been wearing Johnio ever since. And now our listeners can use promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order at johnny-o.com. That's 20% off the regular price. Price at johnny-o.com. Use the promo code RICHTAKE at checkout for 20% off your first order. Exploring the impact of sports. Welcome, Welcome to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Having conversations and hearing personal stories from those who have been impacted built and inspired by the role of sports in their lives here's your host this is episode 118 thanks for being an investor by investing your time to listen no matter what you do in life we're all looking for a formula that will help us persevere And Drew Butler has focused on his formula, which has guided him not only as a highly decorated punter, but also in his life. Before playing in the NFL for five years, Drew would play at the University of Georgia from 2007 to 2011, where he would earn first-team All-American honors in 2009 and 2010, while also earning first-team academic All-American honors twice. And in 2009, he was recognized as the nation's best college punter after being named the Ray Guy Award recipient. You can find him now hosting the Punt and Pass podcast with former Georgia quarterback Aaron Murray, sharing their unique perspectives and personal stories as they look at the national headlines and matchups in college football. Here's episode 118 with Drew Butler. I'm honored to have Drew Butler but we're at a golf facility, so I'm almost embarrassed that I'm pulling you away from golf <laughs> to do a podcast. <laughs> well, I love both those things. I love podcasting and I love golf, so I'm uh, thrilled for the invite. And thanks for having me here. No, thank you. I greatly appreciate it. And obviously, we wanted to hear a little bit more about your story. Obviously, you have a family that's well-known in sports with your dad, Kevin Butler, obviously a Hall of Fame kicker. Uh, University of Georgia, and then obviously into the pros. So sports is not new to your family, but what were some of the first memories that you have? Because you're growing up in a family with your dad as a player in the NFL. So do you remember a distinct moment that, oh, this is sports? Yeah, I I definitely do. Um, And obviously I was extremely lucky to grow up in the family. My dad played in the NFL for 13 years. 11 with the Chicago Bears and then two with the Arizona Cardinals before he retired. And, um, you know, we were born in Chicago, all three, myself and my two sisters. We lived there until 1999. We moved down to Georgia after that quick stint in Arizona and California before football was all done. And we got back out here. But, yeah, growing up, I mean, I loved football. Um, Never played football. Just loved it. Could tell you every statistic of every Bears player on the roster. Could break down every roster of any opponent they played. Loved going to the games. 
Um, and yeah, sure, I remember going to games at Soldier Field. Um, I definitely remember being there in the family room with my mom, bundled up when it's freezing outside. <laughs> um, and then later on, you know, when my dad retired or when he got cut and then retired, I got cut and then retired also. It's what happens to kickers usually. Um, I remember we were in Arizona and my dad had missed a couple of field goals. And they were chanting something not so nice to my dad, probably something that I couldn't repeat on the podcast. It's a four-letter word that starts with F, followed by Butler. And I asked my mom, what does that mean? And my mom said, I think it's time to leave. So we left the stadium that day. But um, I had to deal with those same things when I played football as well. I just remember being there, supporting my dad, uh, being with my family, and watching him play football. Um, it's crazy how it came full circle. Yeah. Now, were you able to like go to practices and hang out at some of the football facilities yeah. growing up with your dad? Yeah, for sure. Uh, being right there in Lake Forest. I mean, we live just north of there in Lake Zurich, Illinois. The Bears facility is in Lake Forest. I remember going there, hanging out with the equipment managers, the same guys that are still there today. Uh, my dad's nickname is Butthead. They would call me Little Butthead. And uh, some of those guys still call me that to this day. I mean, I just saw Jim McMahon up in Chicago a couple weeks ago for a charity golf tournament. And, um, yeah, it's just cool to kind of – Yeah, so how do those guys view you now? I mean, seeing you from – Yeah, seeing me from there and then um, – Exactly. You know, where having, you are. having been played in the NFL now as well, um, there's certainly a mutual respect there. But they treat me like family, which has been awesome. And then seeing my dad get around those guys too, the energy that they have together, the friendships that they've built through the game, it's, it's really special. And you mentioned you hearing some of the negative opinions yeah. voiced towards your dad. How did you? How did that make you feel in terms of? I mean, were you wanting to protect your dad, uh, or no, did you even know? No, I was too young to understand it. You know, eight, nine years old back then. This is way before social media, right? This is like mid '90s stuff, late '90s stuff. So. I didn't really understand it, didn't know what was going on. I mean, thought my dad hung the moon, obviously pretty much still do to this day. So um, I think my mom did a good job of kind of protecting me from those things. But hey, you know, 2018, 2017, we all experience it now for sure. I don't even know how I would have responded if I had social media, especially like when I was in college. Now, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm 48. <laughs> so, uh, But I just think it's such... Uh, there's positives to it, but there's obviously negatives, and everybody can, you know, debate what's yeah. the positive and the negatives. We know that they're there. That's just the reality of it. But just from a distraction standpoint, I mean, you grew up with the social media. Yeah. How has that affected you? Well, it affected me a lot when I played. You know, I mean, obviously, when I was at Georgia, I remember getting Twitter when I was a junior in college, right? So, like, it became really popular when I was in the NFL. As a punter or a kicker, you know, you have a bad game. You're singled out pretty pretty much in the spotlight. It takes a lot of self-control not to look at it. I mean, obviously, when things go great, the first thing you do is look at it. That's just human nature. Um, but having my wife, Jackie, be there, she's like, hey, just turn the phone off. Let's kind of get away. Releasing yourself and taking yourself out of that situation probably is the biggest thing. But it's there. It's hard to escape it. Um, and I commend the guys who can kind of just have that Zoom focus, perform their best on the field, and when they don't, they just don't look at it and go on to the next one. So, you know, I think that's that, very difficult. Yeah, though. oh, it's. I mean, it's probably close to impossible to be 100 percent honest with you. Yeah, because to um, your point, that I mean, we like to see affirmation. Yeah, of positive affirmation. Yeah, who doesn't? Right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So I can see where you would look to social media, but it's the whole negative side of having to deal with that. So, were there s certain situations that? really shocked you 
that happened to you in any terms of um, social I would media? just say, I mean, none in particular, but just when specific people are so persistent in their negative thoughts and making sure you see it, <laughs> that's tough not to react. Um, and I probably have reacted in the past. I certainly wouldn't regret it. I mean, I would never sit there and tell you I regret doing something like that. I mean, it was never with malcontent or, you know, anything horrible, but it's like, hey, man, I, I get it. Like, I think any premier athlete, whether they're in college or in the NFL, nobody puts more pressure on themselves than themselves, right? So like, I think it's so true that professional athletes, when they go home and they hate it when they didn't have a good game and they're mad at themselves and they're going to work their butts off to make sure that they do better the next time. You know, they don't need 50,000 people that they don't know telling them that. Um, exactly. So that's probably they just it in their head, yeah, right? fuel to the fire. But Look, I mean, guys hit a breaking point, and I totally understand that. And uh, it's gotten to the point now in social media where it's like, if you don't stick up for yourself, what are you doing? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. It's 2019. Who knows where we're going to be in 2020 or 21? Agree, because there's that there's that fine line, that balance that you just talked about. That, yeah. Yes, because you don't want false information or, you know, whatever yeah. information that might not be 100% accurate taken out of context. Absolutely. You do have to defend yourself yep. to a certain degree to make sure... Your story gets out there. Um, now, that's the positive side of for social sure. media because you have the ability to, you don't have to wait for a story to get out there. You can promote yep. your own self. And Absolutely. That, and that's where I think, you know, for both you and I, we're both doing podcasts, yes. right? Yes. And having our own content, it seems that social media is still, it's a necessary evil. Of course. Because as much as I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on social media, but for the ability to get content delivered, you have to. Yeah, you know, building that brand is one way that you're going to create an audience. I mean, that's a fact. And for my podcast, Punt and Pass, at Punt and Pass, if you want to rate, review, and subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast. And, and of course, Rich Take on Sports. Yes, and it is very good. So you, you definitely need to go listen to it. We people. have a lot of fun with it, but, you know, we are giving our thoughts and our opinions on the game of college football. And, and my partner, Aaron Murray, who's one of the greatest college quarterbacks of all time, you know, we will tell you what we think. And we're not exactly searching for hot takeism or to get people fired up. But regardless of what you say, sometimes people get fired up. And that's actually good. You want that now because you want people to be invested in your content and, and want to listen to the next time. And it almost brings me back to like a famous Howard Stern quote. I'm a big Howard Stern fan. He said, if people like you, they'll listen for five minutes. But if people hate you, they'll listen for 10 because they're always wanting to find something else to tweet at you about now. Hey, I didn't like this. You know, they they're listening for the inconsistencies and the imperfections. So if you have a differing opinion, I think it's great at this point, as long as you engage. Because it's also human nature. Exactly. We love debating. Exactly. We love yeah. sharing our opinion and trying to prove to no somebody question. else your opinion is wrong. Of course. <laughs> of course. So we have a lot of fun with it. And it's just so much different. Like you said, building that brand, creating that engagement with your audience, you just want to have back and forth. And hopefully, when you're talking about a podcast, it doesn't get into like personal jabs, which it has in the past. We won't partake in that on our end. But if somebody says something about me, you know, you suck, you were never that good. Hey, I just say, thanks so much. Keep listening. <laughs> Keep listening. So why do you think people enjoy um, listening to, say, your podcast? Yeah, you know, I, I came up with the idea in the summer of 2017. It's funny because I was sensing that my days were getting limited. I wanted to do it even if I got back into football. Um, I had been released at the end of 2016 
had had a couple of workouts in 2017 to keep me interested, but I've always stayed really involved in the media, graduated with a journalism degree from Georgia. And for the first couple of years while I was in the NFL, I worked for a sports website called UGASports.com. It's Georgia's rivals webpage. So Roddy Nabolsi, who was a reporter when I was in school, he's now the publisher. He said, would you be interested in writing some pieces of content for me? A preview of the week's game, a review early the next week, and then I hosted their syndicated radio show called Dog Dial. So that was kind of my entrance, and I was still playing football. I was in the NFL. It's just something I really love to do. Um, and then I created the idea of the podcast, Punt and Pass, had never talked to Aaron before, kind of said, here's what I'm thinking, because I saw a great opportunity. There were no former college players, recent former college players. I mean, Aaron had been in the NFL for three years. I was out for five at that point. I said, there's a missing voice here. I mean, I, you can get your Kirk Herbstreet, your Colin Cowherd, your Joel Klatz, Clay Travis. You can get those guys anywhere. But I'm going to tell you what we think because we've played in the stadiums. We've played for and against the coaches. We know a lot of the players. We just had a lot of recency in our opinion, and I thought, let's just do it. And uh, people always ask, why is it called punt and pass, not pass and punt? Because I created it, and, I, <laughs> and it sounds better. That's what I tell everybody. So it's just been a lot of fun. Aaron was all on board. He was like, let's do it. I had no idea he had just signed a deal with CBS Sports. He's going into his third year with CBS Sports Network, and, and he's improved a ton. We've both grown so much through the podcast. If you listen to our first episode, you'd probably think it's the worst thing ever. Uh, but now they're quick. Uh, we've got great guests. It's just been a really cool passion project, which is continuing to grow. We'll go over a million downloads this uh, fall, which is awesome. And that's a very big milestone. Yeah, so it's, congratulations been, it's just been fun. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Well, I'm part of that because I've listened no, and well, I've downloaded yeah, quite a number so of much. times as well. Now, I'm a Clemson grad, hey, but I want to hear absolutely. about Georgia because that's coming back on the schedule. Yeah, yeah. So well, you know, we, I love uh, that rivalry. We started up kind of as a Georgia slash SEC podcast. And as it grew, timing is obviously huge as well. We started in 2017. Georgia starts 9-0. and They become the number one team in the nation. It's exploding. Ride the wave. They win the SEC championship. We do a live show at Sweetwater Brewery, sell it out. They come back for the national championship. We do a live show at Big Sky and Buckhead, go back to Sweetwater. But we were really covering biggest games of the week, a la college game day. But as the college football playoff picture kind of comes in, we just go national. And uh, our, our numbers prove it. And I think it's just been fun to touch on storylines that people are interested in. And look, if Georgia's playing Murray State week two, don't come to punt and pass because we're not really going to talk about it. I'll tell you what I'm going to gamble if we're interested in that, <laughs> but we're not going to break it down in X's and O's. It's really fun, quick hitting stuff. And I think our, uh, our audience has responded to it really well. In the first couple episodes, we're listening to it in my car. My wife's in the car. She looks at me and she goes, this is not good. She told me, she goes, this is boring. I don't want to listen to it. You should make it to where I want to listen. My wife, right? She knows football pretty well, but she wants to be in the room with a couple of guys talking about football, not breaking down third down percentages, completion percentages, home away loss records. No, we, we kind of went away from that. Now it's a lot more fun, light, and uh, we've gotten a good response. So thank you, Jackie, for your honesty. Which she, She's saving the day again yeah, for you, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. There's no shortage of that, but yeah. I appreciated it in the podcast for yeah. sure. And how did you guys meet? So I met Jackie in fifth grade, actually. I've known Jackie forever. Uh, we've been best friends Forever. Uh, we dated in sixth grade and then she dumped me for my best friend. Um, <laughs> took me a long time to get over that, but we stayed best friends all through high school. She went to Alabama. I went to Georgia. Um, so we always kept in touch and then we gave it a shot uh, the summer before our senior year of college. So 
We uh, started long dating. Distance. and uh, Yeah, long distance. Once I proposed to her after my rookie in the NFL, we moved in together. We bounced around for a little bit, went to Arizona, um, lived there for almost four years. Now we've been married for five years, and uh, we have a 15-month-old daughter at home, Bridget. So You're juggling a lot. A lot. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. You definitely are. Now, how'd you propose? So uh, she was living in New York City at the time. She worked for NBC up at Rockefeller Center. She was working at the Today Show. It was her dream job. She was an absolute stud. She was the Journalism Student of the Year at Alabama, got a job at NBC right out of college, surprised her. Um, she thought I was going to propose to her in Chicago. We were in Chicago with my sister and brother-in-law. I didn't propose to her. I went back to Atlanta, caught a flight up to New York the next morning, and then had her friend Kara, who's still a great friend of ours, she led her into Central Park, and I was there at Bow Bridge in Central Park. So Fantastic. Yeah, I like how you yeah, did that. big you, time. Surprised exactly. her. Exactly. You make I don't her remember what way. I said. I was sweating like crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of those classic moments for sure. Oh, I love hearing the stories like that, because, uh, but I want to make sure my wife doesn't hear those type of stories, because <laughs> mine is not good. <laughs> I promise you, I had all these elaborate plans, but this big, huge storm that right? came about, and so it was just really on a balcony yeah. on this apartment hey, it complex. Works. It did. It worked. She yes. loves you. She said yes. There you so, go. I'm very fortunate from that side of things. Now, going back, though, when you talk about... You were this sports guy. You knew all the stats. Yeah. But you didn't play football. No, I didn't. No, I never played football. Why not? You know, I just, the itch never needed to be scratched at that point. I was really into soccer, played every other sport when I was younger. And then I got really into golf. When I moved to Georgia, um, my parents still still, still live in the same golf community that I grew up in. Um, I, I just fell in love with the game of golf. It was crazy. I mean, I would wake up before school, go have a lesson, you know, shower up at 8.30, make it to first bell at 9.30 in the morning. After school, right back to the range, grinding, playing golf tournaments. I just fell in love with it. I um, was still playing soccer. Then I quit soccer just to focus on golf. I mean, I was hell-bent on being a PGA Tour player. So that was your dream. That was that my was dream. Your goal. Yeah, and um, I went to a brand-new high school outside of Atlanta called Peachtree Ridge High School. First year it opened was 2003, so I was an incoming freshman. A lot of my friends, obviously, we all went. We were the charter class. They played their first year in 2A football. And they went one and nine. They didn't have a kicker. They had a lineman toe bashing, straight on kicking, field goals. He was missing extra points. They would have to go for two late in the game. They lost like two or three games because they couldn't make an extra point. So all my buddies were kind of like, hey, you know, are you going to play? Are you going to play? I was like, I don't know. And then I just went to my dad one day and I said, hey, I think I'm going to try for football. And uh, he was shocked. We were at the dinner table. My mom was there as well. And, and he said, well, there's only one rule, really. You have to go in 100%. He was like, if you, you can't go in half-heartedly, have a couple bad days of practice and want to quit. You know, it's kicking. You have to work at it. And I always knew how to kick. I mean, I would mess around with my dad, played soccer. Yeah, of course. Was athletic in the sense of having that experience. But one thing led to another. Um, became the kicker sophomore year I started. We went 1-9 in nine in 5A football. So we were in the top classification. We're all sophomores. So a brand new school, brand but new you're school. in 5A. Yes. Second year of the school, we're playing North Gwinnett, Norcross. Like national powerhouses. I mean, it's 42 to nothing at halftime. We're getting blown out of every single game. We had four field goal attempts the entire season. Think about that. <laughs> four field goal attempts the entire season. Probably a handful of extra points. Um, but the senior year, we won state championship. Yeah, we were all seniors. That's amazing. Yeah, we, we just, Cameron Hayward was a classmate of mine. He's a, a team captain for the Pittsburgh Steelers. We had a couple other guys go to the NFL. It was really fun just to see that group and that nucleus become seniors and kind of like have revenge on 
all of our rivals and go deep in the playoffs and, and win a title. So, What was it then that had this snowball effect or this transformation that occurred to have a team that obviously had a lot of adversity yeah. and struggled because yeah. you were a, a new school? So how did you get to point where now all of a sudden you're winning a state championship you know growing up is obviously one huge aspect of it but just the nucleus of the team I mean we we grew in the adversity and getting our teeth kicked in every week but staying together you know there was nowhere else to go everybody transferred into Peachtree Ridge it's not like you're going to transfer back out right I mean everybody came in from different middle schools to create this high school and I think we all knew we were competitive our junior year we just missed out on the playoffs we all knew that something special was there I mean there was colleges at every practice we felt something special was going on. Um, so we made it to the playoffs and um, had a fantastic defense, a great coaching staff. Like there was that real kind of brotherly bond that guys still talk about to this day. I mean, we had our 10-year anniversary a couple of years ago in 2017. And, um, you know, it's crazy. I, I, of course, have to give you an asterisk, though. We tied the state championship game with Roswell. Okay, and uh, I we, do both got, this. we both got uh, I do rings. This. I'm from Georgia, so yeah. And I, I, do I hand this. up. I missed two field goals in that game, but I also made two. <laughs> so we would have lost if it wasn't for me, but we could have won also. That's right. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just an unbelievable experience. I mean, I cried like a baby after that game because football was done. You know, I knew I was going to Georgia at that point, but we were all in tears. I mean, it was really like that family because being the family was up. being yeah, broken I mean, up. We, it was such a special time. That playoff run was really one of the most, one of my most favorite memories in football for sure. So it was really cool. And Peachtree Ridge is probably on the up and up. They'll be coming back soon for a, for a couple of playoff appearances, I hope. Now, you talked about the adversity that you guys went through yeah. and that helped you get. So, how important do you think adversity is in life? I think it's huge. You know, adversity is one word, but I think it all comes down to grit. I really do. I mean, I've done a lot of studying on grit. Angela Duckworth, uh, a professor at Stanford, wrote a fantastic book on grit. And really, it's just honestly the will and the want to improve after getting knocked down. I mean, you always hear the cliche stuff, you know, get knocked down seven times, get up eight. Mm -hmm. But it's so true. And it's about a growth mindset and telling yourself you can learn, you can do better. I mean, again, it may sound cheesy, but I, I firmly believe in that type of stuff. And that group, you know, that group really was gritty. I mean, we had a lot of guys who didn't go play college football, who wanted to put their hand in the pile, and who contributed a ton to our success. So it was, uh, it was just really special. And, and I only kicked and punted in high school. I mean, I didn't play wide receiver. I didn't play backup quarterback. It was a, it was a really cool time to kind of have a memory that lasts a lifetime. Did you ever have situations where some guys viewed you differently because you didn't? play in other like skilled positions that because you you hear the saying yeah. oh you're just a punter yeah. you're just a kicker you're not really part of the team or was that not accurate you know Did everybody embrace you as I part think of everybody the team? embraced me because I've always been one and I think it's pretty par for the course now outside of a few people who I couldn't even really name off the top of my head but kickers really do ingratiate themselves within the team they work out with the team. They're there almost every time, except when it comes time to practice. I mean, guys just won't understand. Even some of my best buddies who are still in the league who play skill positions or offensive line, you can't kick for three and a half hours every single day. <laughs> you just can't do it. It's like, God, I mean, your leg would fall off. So it's hard to kind of tell them that. But you're called a specialist for a reason. You specialize in kicking and punting. And as long as you perform on game day, they'll love you. And when you don't perform on game day, they'll probably let you know that they don't love you as much. That's right. Which is earned, though. It's totally expected. That happens. Yeah. 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 So you talk about your leg would get tired. So 
in a what's a normal practice then for a punter say in the nfl yeah in the nfl you know a normal practice for a punter we're out on the field an hour to 45 minutes before those guys are out there so we're on a completely different schedule we're working with the special teams coach we're working with the equipment staff to make sure hey we're ready because when practice starts when i was in the nfl special teams is the first thing to go first 30 minutes of practice are special teams so you have literally practiced for an hour and a half after special teams is done and then practice starts, right? They're going to go to individual drills. They're going to go to seven on seven, inside run, all that stuff, and with 11 on 11. But for us, you have to be ready to perform in those 10 minutes that you'll get because that's the only reps that you get until Sunday, right? So they're going to bring a bunch of looks at you on punt team. You have to know they're working on protection up front. You're working with your long snapper. And then you go to field goal. You get eight kicks, right? You get eight kicks, then it's time to go. I mean, you better do well with those eight kicks because that's what you're going to take your mindset into the game on Sunday. So, you know, I was extremely blessed to play in the NFL for five years. It really teaches you about how to allocate your time throughout the week. And then what it all comes down to is being able to translate it to the playing field on Sunday. How much in terms of crossover, obviously soccer and kicking, but what about from golf oh, into kicking? It's huge. I mean, it's absolutely huge from a technical standpoint. The golf swing and the kicking motion are almost uncanny uh, how similar they are. I mean, if you are a golfer, I can probably teach you how to kick. I mean, I'm not even kidding you when I say that. And if you're a kicker who has a little bit of history golfing or knows the game of golf, we can relate and we can speak in verbiage, which will help you kind of understand what I want you to do. So that was probably the better transition for me from a mental aspect because kicking Being is a probably, golfer yeah, first. yeah, because kicking is 80% mental. There's no doubt about it, especially when you get up into the NFL. Everybody has talent. It's a matter of how you're going to develop that consistency and deal with the ebbs and flows. Okay, when you say 80% mental, what does that mean, though? I think what it means now, especially in 2019, the talent level is so high for kickers. I mean, I worked Georgia's kicking camp uh, this past summer, and I'm working with juniors in high school, and they were light years better than I was when I was a junior. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're seeing how specialized these kids are at a young age, how strong they are, how athletic they are. And when they put their foot on leather, I mean, they are rocking like 65-yard punts. I'm sitting there going, holy cow, this is unbelievable. So to be able to hone that and then produce on the field, much like a golfer has a lot of different shots in his bag, a punter has to know how to control the distance, how to aim right and kick directionally, how to kick it inside the 20. You know, if you're in a specific situation backed up in the end zone, you got to know how to get it out quick. So there's a lot of different things that you have to have in your arsenal. And um, I think being able to lock in in your mindset and expect and be able to perform in those specific situations on Sunday really comes back to the mental aspect of it. How many times did you have to explain to people what you just described in terms of, I've got multiple kicks and... It's not always about trying to kick it the farthest. Yeah, It's these directional kicks, and maybe you're being coached to, all right, kick it 35 yards and pin them over here. Yeah. How often do you have to tell that? Because I hear fans screaming, oh, my gosh, a terrible punt. No doubt. Yeah, I had to deal with it. I mean, I dealt with it when I was in Arizona in 2014. I actually led the league in inside the 20 punts. And our offense was awesome. Carson Palmer, uh, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, who you know, guys like John Brown and uh, David Johnson. I mean, really, really good players who are still performing at a high level. And we just didn't have to punt on our side of the field very often. We went to the playoffs that year, um, but I ranked lower in the statistics, but I was up top of the league inside the 20s. So, hey, I always said if my head coach is happy, 
if my special teams coach is happy and if my wife is happy, I'm totally fine. So <laughs> everybody else can forget about it. Well, I but, think you um, need to flip that though. Well, the yeah, wife now, number one, yeah, right? Yeah, of course. In the football sense, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Exactly. What about from a punter's viewpoint? Why can't a punter be involved in fantasy football? Yeah, right. I think you can, probably in a couple specific leagues. But what? I mean, punt over 60, punt over 50, inside the 20. You could probably work them in there. I mean, punters, we kind of get the short end of the stick. But, hey, we're athletes. We we can get it around pretty good. Why didn't you stick with just place kicking like your dad? Yeah, I get this question a bunch, and just the easy answer is I was just a better punter. I was a better punter. I liked it more. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Duke and Wake Forest and do both, kick and punt. Thought I was going to go to Duke, um, did an official visit there, absolutely loved it, thought it was awesome. And then Georgia offered me a full scholarship um, right before signing day. Funny enough, Cameron Hayward was supposed to go to Georgia. He didn't. He went to Ohio State. Georgia thought they were going to get Eric Berry as well. Eric Berry went to Tennessee. Georgia recruited Cam Newton that year. He went to Florida. Um, Alan Bailey was a big-time recruit. He went to Miami. So Georgia, at the end of their recruiting cycle, were kind of sitting there like, "Uh uh-oh, what do we do? They had a couple of scholarships left over. And I know I earned it for sure, but they were trying to get me to walk on. And I just told them I wasn't going to give up a a $400,000 scholarship to Duke. A Duke, yes. And I'm going, this is going to be unbelievable. Um, They offered me a scholarship right before signing day, and I was like, I can't turn that down, so... I now, had, obviously, I mean, I know you had to have a passion for Georgia yeah. that your dad went of course. there. Yeah, you know, of so course. that had to be part of it. What was that moment like then as you're signing a scholarship to play yeah. where your dad played? It was awesome. I mean, it was always a dream. There's no doubt about that. I love Georgia football, even when I lived in Chicago and nobody knew what Georgia football was. Um, being down here, though, living and really growing up in Atlanta, had a huge passion for Georgia football. I mean, David Green, the Stinchcombs. Um, Boss Bailey, you know, you're talking about guys who I would just watch on Saturdays and think that they were just world beaters. And they still are. I, I Unfortunately, I got to know them personally, and they're just all-time guys. So to kind of be now an alumni um, and, and have that history with Georgia football, it, it was a dream come true for sure. Was there a moment when you're first time taking the field to practice or team meeting or whatever that you realized – Okay, this is SEC football. This is big-time football. Yeah, well, you know, I I got the scholarship. Uh, There was a walk-on punter there named Brian Mims. I knew I was going to have to compete. Um, I was all-state, you know, just wanted a state championship. Thought I was going to walk in and just start right away, you know. and and You're going to be the man, right? Yeah, why wouldn't you when you're coming out of senior (laughs) high school? But Brian was a great punter, and I didn't beat him out. And kind of went into the dumps, red-shirted. I was bummed I wasn't playing, didn't have the best attitude. We had a new tight ends coach who coached special teams as well come in. His name was John Lilly, and I love Coach Lilly because he saw my attitude. He saw that I wasn't performing really well, and he sat me down after that spring, that next spring, spring of 2008, and he just told me straight up. He goes, hey, man, I know you're here. I know you're on scholarship, but if you don't get it together, we're going shopping. We're going to look right over you. And I said, all right, thanks so much. So he really told me right then, you got to switch your attitude and you got to perform better. And I really just kind of rededicated myself to be able to show them that I would be their punter of the future. Um, Did well enough in camp that year to warrant a pooch punter position. I think I punted three times in 2008 because I was eligible and then started for three years after that. So huge help to Coach Lilly. That was pretty much my welcome to the SEC moment because he told me, do better or else you'll never play. This is your wake-up yeah, call. Yeah, and uh, that was a huge help to me for sure. Yeah, and how much input were you getting or advice coaching from your dad? Yeah, a good bit. You know, he obviously 
still works with Georgia on the broadcasting side. So he has access to the football team. And thankfully for me, him being my dad, look, if I had a bad practice or if I need something, I could send him some film. He could watch it. Um, but he's always been really helpful to me in simplicity, you know, never breaking down things way too technical. Um, just looking at one small thing to work on. And that continued all the way through my NFL career. I know there was an aspect uh, for your dad that he tr- was going to a comeback yeah. tour for him in the arena football league. Yeah, wow, good memory. Yeah, what about you though? That was in, cool. It, no, in terms of they got the XFL oh, now. I, I mean, know. are you thinking about any? I don't know. You trying know, to come back? That's a good question. Last year, I was approached by the Alliance League, and um, they wanted me to come work out for the Atlanta team. And and there must have been some miscommunication because I said, yeah, you know, send me a contract, and I'll look at it and think about it. They go, no, 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 we want you to come work out for us. And I just kind of said. <laughs> I'm good. You know, like I had the conversation with my wife and I just told her, I go, I love football. I think that's one thing that kind of separates me from maybe some other people in the NFL. I love the game of football. I love what it taught me. I love watching it. I love reading about it. I love talking about it. I love gambling on it. Like I just love the game of football. I really do. Uh, but it came to a point where I just kind of did a nice little, um, a weight scale of what was most important to me. And we just had our daughter, Bridget. She's one year old and we're living back in Atlanta with family. And I just told Jackie, I said, I don't want to be playing at Turner Field in March against Memphis when it's 38 degrees outside. And I really don't want you to be there watching me play. <laughs> so we just said, hey, you know, it's it's done. I'm done. I hadn't kicked You're closing that chapter? Yeah, I've closed that chapter. And, and again, like, Doing the broadcasting stuff and the podcast keeps one foot into football. Yeah, you're still in it. Yeah, and I just love helping out guys. I love talking to people. Um, Cam Nizelik, who's a punter from Georgia, just got signed by the Baltimore Ravens. You know, it's the third week of training camp. So happy for him. Text him. If you need anything, man, holler at me. Um, introduce him to a couple of guys on the team that I knew from Arizona or whatnot. And, you know, to me, I love watching other people's success now and rooting for them. And, um, yeah, I, I selfishly I think I can still get it around, but <laughs> NFL is tough, man. It's tough. When's the last time you actually kicked? So I I laced them back up for Georgia's kicking camp. I brought my cleats out there. There were a bunch of young kids out there. I had to show, had to show them, them how to do it. Yeah, I had to show them I still had it for sure. How'd you do? Did okay. Turned some footballs over, you know. I'm more of like a kettlebell, treadmill, dumbbell guy now. I'm not really getting in the squat rack as much anymore. So making sure the golf game is right rather than punting. Yeah, don't mess up the golf yeah, game. Yeah, that's right? key. That's, that's key. the key thing. Absolutely. Right now. So what did football teach you? You just mentioned that. Yeah, so much, man, so much. I was just at a conference out at Stanford University this past weekend with a bunch of guys who were nominated for the William V. Campbell Trophy, which is, people call it the academic Heisman. Um, It's probably my biggest honor when I was in college. I was a finalist for it in 2011, and it awards top play, top academics, and top community service all in one award. The National Football Foundation gives it out. Being around all of the guys who were nominated for that award, you're talking about guys who are in med school at MIT, guys who are uh, Army Rangers, guys who are top software salesmen in their companies, guys who are tech entrepreneurs. I mean, you're talking about people who played football and are now leaders and innovators in every single aspect. I think football really teaches you to be versatile. Uh, I think it teaches you to be persistent, and I think it teaches you teamwork and leadership in ways that you can't get from anywhere else. I mean, you can go to the top leadership summits in the world. You can go pay five grand to go sit down with Tony Robbins for three days. But that camaraderie um, and the singular focus of everybody going towards one goal 
it's the greatest team sport in the world. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It is the greatest team sport in the world. One guy messes up out of 11, and it's a failure. And um, you have to have 11 people all in the same boat. And I just, I can't be thankful. I can't be more thankful for what football's taught me. And what about golf then? Golf is so much more for me a personal thing. You know, golf teaches you to be positive. Golf teaches you to stay persistent in your mindset. You know, you can't let the outside noise affect you. It's you against the course, right? I mean, in kicking, it's you against the football. You're you're lonely in that sense. It's one-on-one at that time. So I just love how golf can never be perfected, and neither can kicking, right? I think you have a great day. Shoot 72. You go back out the next day, you shoot 85. It's the most frustrating thing. No doubt. And that's why I love it. I love it. I love that chase of consistency and that ever pursuit of perfection. That's fun for me. And you also did some placeholding yeah. in college, right? Yeah. yeah. Were you more nervous placeholding in key moments or punting? Because yeah. I, I've always felt that that doesn't get enough attention in terms of how important placeholding is. For sure, for sure. I, I've always considered myself to be one of the best holders of all time. So I was very <laughs> <Okay>. confident <laughs> in my ability as a holder. Never got nervous in a moment of holding. And I was able to hold for two great kickers, Blair Walsh, who was a record setter at Georgia and a pro bowler in Minnesota, and Chandler Catanzaro, who's one of my best friends to this day, all-time guy very at Clemson, good Clemson guy. And a very good NFL kicker as well, who just retired. Congratulations to him. But you know, having those guys be your friends and working with them, because holding is literally this difference in an inch can be the miss or a made kick. I mean, it's as simple as that. Laces, lean, spot of the ball. It's such a perfect operation. You're talking about snap to kick is 1.25 seconds. It's fast. That's amazing. You better be ready to roll. So working, you know, again, that teamwork, having three guys in sync, working throughout the week, making sure everything's going to be there, having those crisp practice sessions, translating them to the playing field. I loved holding. I mean, I could hold all day. I thought it was really fun. And again, it goes back to having great kickers because I'll tell you that holders make the kickers. They'll tell you that kickers make holders. There's no doubt. Well, and I had Morgan Cox, Baltimore Ravens, long snapper on the podcast as well. And he talked about just there's also techniques involved with long snapping. Oh, my goodness. And which just blows me away. And I don't think a lot of common fans really understand. No, no, they got no idea. The techniques yeah. in the technical aspect of long snapping in conjunction with not only the punter, but with the placeholder as well, that talking about in unison yeah. that you guys have to be on the exact same page. For a guy as talented as Morgan still snapping for the Baltimore Ravens, I mean, every time he snaps a field goal snap at eight yards, when you catch it, the laces will be pointed directly at the And that blows goals. my mind. Right, so as a holder... You can't reach and go catch it at seven and a half yards, and you can't let it come to you at eight yards in one quarter. You have to catch it in the same spot every time. So it has a lot to do with our setup. It has a lot to do with our rapport with the long snapper, holding your hand up, and literally when it hits you, that ball is ready to go straight down, give it a little tilt, and we're rocking and rolling. So it's crazy because those guys work to perfect that, and in that you know, two-inch circumference of where you can catch the ball, they're expecting you to do your job to make them look good. And they're expecting you so that you don't look bad. Uh, it's it's one of the coolest things. I think field goal kicking is awesome, yeah. And as you mentioned, it's all happening in less than two seconds. Exactly. 1.25 <laughs> seconds, yeah. Yeah, snap it, to kick. It's incredible how, how that happens. Again, and I, I think it's undervalued, Yeah, uh, that whole technical aspect of it. So when you look back, though, through 
your career and all that. You've mentioned a lot of the lessons that you've learned, but what does sports really mean to you? And also, why is it you think people have this gravitational pull towards sports? I just think there's so much that sports can teach you, you know, in life, in business, um, family, positivity. You know, sports really allows you to kind of get that release. But then in the end, remember what's good in the world. I mean, as cheesy as that sounds, there's so much noise now. I mean, you can't turn on the news in the morning without something crazy happening. And sometimes that even interjects its way into sports. But when you get pure sports moments, a great college football game, when you get pure sports moments like an awesome Super Bowl or an unbelievable NBA Finals, man, you sit there and you go, holy cow, that was awesome. You're watching top of the top people compete, fight for each other, fight against each other, all for one common goal. I think you can kind of put that into society in a many different ways and viewpoints, but just remember that sports brings people together. It does. That's a fact. It brings emotion out of people. That's a fact. And again, at the end of the day, hopefully it's nothing that's like really visceral that you would like not like somebody over, but remind you that you care about something bigger than yourself. And I think there's this aspect as much as in all regards, it can be a meaningless game. Yeah. But it's so impactful For in sure. so many different ways. And it's just the irony of how that is built within sports itself. Yeah. Yeah. No, you bring up a great point. I mean, that is that is ironic, but that's what makes it so great. It does. That's what makes it so it great. It really does. Now, you mentioned also that you have a one-year-old daughter. Yes. Yes, sir. What has fatherhood done to you as far as, is it changing you? Is it, what are you learning now that you are a father? Uh, a lot of patience. And Bridget's fantastic. I think a lot of patience in the sense that um, I just, I'll do anything for her, really. I mean, you figure that out as soon as she's born. I mean, everybody says it, but it's so true. And, and my daughter, Bridget's been unbelievable. She sleeps like a princess. She's been like that, you know, since she was able to sleep through the night. It's been awesome. And then two, a whole new appreciation for my wife. I mean, she's an absolute rock star. She was made to be a mother. She is an unbelievable mom to Bridget. She's an unbelievable wife. So having patience on my end, when I want to get something done, when I want to do something, like almost in that selfish sense, but then take a step back and say, hey, there's a bigger picture here. You know, we got stuff going on with Bridget. We got stuff going on with Jackie. Um, and just really my heart grew, you know, 50 times for the both of them. Um, so that's just been one thing that it's really taught me and, um, I'll just, I'll do anything for the both of them. It's been awesome. Yeah. It's an amazing experience. It really is. So I've got three kids. Yes, and, sir. Um, I'm well ahead of the curve <laughs> for you. My oldest one is a sophomore at Clemson. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And I've got a senior in high school and a daughter. Very who's cool. A sophomore in high school. So I'm very happy for you, but I don't need to be back <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at man. that stage. I hear you. <laughs> that's hear for you. sure. What about words of wisdom? Any phrases, mottos, quotes, or just life advice that has meant a lot to you that you've leaned on over the years? Yeah, you know, I go back to grit. I mean, that's such a big thing for me. And, and one of the things that I tell myself, remind myself of, and consistently work on is a little phrase that I kind of made up on my own. But I think it rings true in life, in sports, really in anything. And I just tell myself, honestly, probably daily, I write it down, positivity plus persistence equals perseverance, right? If you stay in a positive mindset and if you work your ass off, 
good things will probably end up happening. It doesn't matter what you're doing. So if you stay positive, stay persistent, you're probably going to persevere. I mean, the odds would say that. So again, I don't embody that. I try to because <laughs> it's hard to. I mean, it's you have to hard. work on it. But if you surround yourself with the right people, like I'm thankful every day for my wife. I'm thankful every day for my daughter. Um, I'm blessed to be back in Atlanta where I grew up. So my parents live here. My grandparents live here. My in-laws live here. Um, surrounding yourself with those people and then, you know, following great Twitter and Instagram accounts that are positive. I mean, I know you do your feed the timeline positivity thing, you know, reminding yourself good things are around the corner. Keep working hard, stay positive. I think you'll persevere in that way. So that's one of the things that I really kind of hang my hat on. Well said. And I think if people can understand that perseverance, that persistence with the positivity, it might not be on your timeline. And that's where people get tripped up is yeah. that we're in this microwave generation that it has to oh. happen right now. And let's just be patient as well through your persistence. It will, it will work out. It's so funny you just said that. And I'm talking about Instagram accounts. John Gordon, who is a fantastic leadership I've had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's just one of my favorite people of all time. Same here. He Instagrammed out a picture yesterday and it was talking about some of the biggest companies that you'd ever imagine. You know, Google, Starbucks, um, add any name, Nike or whatever. And he just broke it down. He said, Starbucks found success, you know, in year four, you know, like in year four, like it does not happen in one minute. And that kind of goes back to my whole thing of patience, like just learning that things take time. Um, and I think football, getting out of football, getting into the real world, football is so binary. It's so black and white. Was practice good or was practice bad? Did you win or did you lose? Your coach is either telling you great job or your coach is telling you not a great job. You might lose your job next week. It's so black and white. And in the real world, I've found there's a lot of gray area and that's not a bad thing, but you need to train your mind to just stay positive and say, hey man, you know, I'm in a new role that I started in January. I'm not the best at it in August. I expect to be the best at it in August, but that's not how <laughs> things happen. So continuing just to stay persistent, stay positive, no doubt will pay off in the long run. And uh, it's funny you brought that up because John Gordon said it best. Go look him up on Instagram. How long has that been taking you, though, to change your mindset to be where you can accept gray areas? Yeah. Um, I mean, I talk about it with my wife a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's daily for me. It really is. I'll catch myself when I'm in a bad mood and be like, this is not like this is not relevant. You know, like you want those affirmations. You want that, hey man, great job. We did well today. We won today. And yes, there are our moments, but you have to be able to create those winnable moments on your own rather than have a coach tell you what is and what isn't success. So again, I might sound smart saying that, but I've told myself <laughs> these things a hundred times because I've been working really hard at it. So well, that's part of it as well. Yes, is just keep reminding yourself. Yeah, for sure. Well, Drew, I can't thank you enough for Thanks, letting Rich. me yeah, appreciate, man. steal some of your time and you share the wisdom upon me as well. I greatly appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to what the future holds for you. Yeah. Thank right. you so much. It may not be tomorrow, but it could be in a couple of years, which is <laughs> what we're right. talking about right now. But um, we, we, we both have some type of path that we're, we're intersecting on, there you, go. you know, so I Absolutely. greatly appreciate, yes, sir. You, well, I appreciate to, you to spend some time with me. Awesome. Thanks for it. Thank appreciate you so much. Yes, appreciate it. Each person in life has to develop their own personal formula that they lean on and to help motivate them while pursuing success and different goals that they want to achieve. 
And that's not only limited to sports, but just life in general. And there's no doubt that Drew continues to value his own formula, knowing that the strength of perseverance truly comes from positivity and persistence. Now that finishes episode 118, and more of our content can be found by visiting our Rich Take on Sports YouTube channel, where you can easily subscribe and remember, focus forward so we don't live in the past. All the best, everyone. You've been listening to Rich Take on Sports, the sports podcast with life. Visit richtakeonsports.com to subscribe and catch up on any episodes you might have missed. You can also follow us on Twitter at Rich Take Sports. Thanks for listening.